The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jagan. Presenting Season 9, Avalanche. The sun ain't gonna shine anymore. Written by Mercedes Lackey. When Echo located their headquarters in Atlanta, they planned for the future. Quite a distance into the future, in fact. They knew they were going to eventually be the place of incarceration for metacriminals. They knew there would be a lot of them. So they dug a hole. A really, really deep hole. They turned it into a many-layered basement, reinforced to take on anything. Then they put a building on top of it. The building and the first two basements were normal echo facilities. Offices, labs, research. The rest was top hold. And every time Echo needed to add more space to top hold, they just developed the next floor further down. No one, except a handful of people with access to the plans, knew how many floors down the basement went. It was, after all, a really, really deep hole. When the Kriegers had come calling, they had wrecked what was on the surface, but not top hold. This was a place intended to keep metacriminals securely and indefinitely. Echo not only had to plan for powered people trying to break out, they had to plan for powered people trying to break in. Plus, there had been the Cold War, the Soviet threat, the Chinese threat. Top Hold could survive a direct nuclear blast intact. Its power plant and facilities were standalone from the building above it. The prisoners, the ones that hadn't escaped with Slick, didn't even have to be relocated while the public floors were cleared and rebuilt. And now the section had one new floor occupied, but not by a prisoner. Back when she was about to graduate from Merlin College at Oxford, Vicky had daydreamed about finding an industrial loft and converting it to her new home. All that space... She'd have room to put in her very own salle for weapons practice. She could have a huge workroom. And the idea of a single, big, open space all to herself was very attractive to someone who'd spent the last four years in a room about half the size of the average American bedroom, into which she'd crammed bed, desk, chair, bureau, and wardrobe, since none of those ancient chambers had such a thing as a closet. Granted, her room at Merlin had had a fireplace, but... That didn't make up for the fact that it was so small that having four people in the room induced a state of acute claustrophobia in all of them. Well, as with most things, daydreams and reality were rather different. Here she was in this huge, echoing space, and what she wanted was her apartment, or even that cramped little college room. There was too much space, and not nearly enough in it to make it seem remotely livable. But she wasn't about to complain out loud. At least she was safer here than any place else. Bull had arranged for the things she'd asked for, but there was only so much that could be done on short notice, with the result that the borrowed furniture, augmented by her desks and special chair from the Overwatch suite, made the place look like a furniture store display floor three-quarters through a bankruptcy sale. The walls were bare concrete, the floor covered with tobacco-brown industrial carpet. All the plumbing, HVAC, and wiring ducts and conduits were exposed— the overhead lights had been harsh and made it look even worse, so she'd opted for floor lamps, which gave little spots of light in the gloom. There was a shower, 
toilet and sink behind a screen in the corner where the water came in and sewage exited. A cot with a memory foam mattress was behind another screen in the next corner, her clothing in boxes next to it. A lone recliner stood in the third next to a lamp and a pile of her magic books, with the rest of the books and boxes nearby. There was a fridge full of meal drinks and a cabinet with a coffee maker, coffee, cat food, and booze next to the bathroom. The overwatch suite, desks, computers, monitors, zero-G chair and all were shoved up against the wall with the most electrical outlets, and there was a stereo Bluetooth linked to her computer rig next to it. Everything was here, mostly still in the boxes it had been packed into. The middle of the room was divided into magic work area and exercise area. Gray's cat box was in its own little hut in the bathroom. Both Gray and Herb were sitting off to the side of the exercise area, watching her. She'd hoped being out of her own place would cut back a little on the constant reminders of Red and the ensuing grief. All being here did was double up on the loneliness. But she had something she didn't have at home. A salet. Bulwark had looked puzzled with the specs she had stipulated for her exercise area. But there it was. A nice set of pals as pretty as anything back at Merlin. And if she couldn't forget Red even for a second, at least now she could work herself into a white-hot fury against the Pells with her weighted ironwood practice rapier and dagger. Her real weapons were on her stands in her work area, being worked on. It was after dark, and as usual, the Kriegers had transferred their attacks to other parts of the world, though they were definitely concentrating things on the North American continent. By this time, Vicky was pretty certain this meant that their base, wherever it was, was closer to the Western Hemisphere than the Eastern. Of course, that was a lot of territory to search, and so far she didn't have anything to help narrow it all down. But Eight could handle most of what was going on now, and she could be in her chair in seconds if he called, so she was taking some time to imagine Doppelganger's face in front of her as she progressed through the workout. She heard the elevator behind her hum after she'd been at it for about ten minutes. That elevator went straight from this floor to the heavily guarded entrance floor of Top Hold, so whoever was coming down had permission to be here. There was one elevator per floor in Top Hold, and they each ended at the same entrance area, which was a bulletproof, heavily armored room in the middle of that floor, with the elevators on the walls around it. The only way out was via the elevator in that room— that meant if there was ever a successful prison break, there would be a minimum number of prisoners that would get that far. And it was vanishingly unlikely that Doppelganger would get down here. And if she does? Gods, I actually hope she does. I can have what I need in my hands before she could get out of the elevator. She'd have to take me on here, in my space. So she didn't stop working, not now especially, not when she was in her groove and focused anger had replaced anguish for the moment. The door swished open. Can I come in, Miss Vicky? said a soft, childish treble. Sure, Penny, Vicky replied. I'm whack. In the whack. Middle whack. Avex whack. Er whack. Sizing. Whackety-whack-whackety-whack-whack-spin-whack. I'll go sit, the little girl replied, not at all disturbed by the sight of Vicky beating the hell out of a padded man-shaped dummy with a pair of sticks. I can pet Gray. Don't write she can. She knows all the right spots to scratch. 
You do that, kiddo. She concentrated on the perfection of every move. It wasn't enough to make her forget, but it was enough to hold her attention. And when she was dripping with sweat, she called it, racked the practice rapier and dagger, and saw that Penny had been watching her the whole time intently. Is that like sword fighting? she asked. Like Game of Thrones? She blinked at that. She almost asked, They're letting you kids watch that stuff? Incredulously. But then she realized that for the kids who'd been rescued from her uncle and the project, Game of Thrones was just Tuesday. They were no more innocent children than she had been at their age, with just as much experience in man's inhumanity to man. More, really. She had only been the witness to that inhumanity. They had been the victims. Sort of, she said. It's a different style than most of the fighters in that series use. She snagged a towel and wiped her face. It's better suited to someone little, like me. Penny nodded solemnly. You look like a dancer. I've been doing it a long time, she replied. And then, the odd choice of words struck her. I look like a dancer? It had been years since she'd been graceful enough at sword work to have that set of her. And yet, it hit her. Since she'd begun her practices here, she hadn't been fighting with a body that hurt and hitched and caught at the wrong times. It hadn't felt any different, just now, than when she'd been at her top form— before Bella had turned her into a scarred and damaged monster. And her brain suddenly caught on a memory and froze for a second. My hand. There had been something odd about her hand when she'd pulled off her glove to place it against Red's face. She'd felt his face, felt the warmth, the texture, everything, not just the old sense of nothing more than pressure from mostly destroyed nerves, and her hand itself. She pulled off her glove and stared at her hand in disbelief. It looked like a hand. A scarred and calloused hand, certainly, but not the monstrous claw it had been. She pulled her cuff up over her arm and stared at what was revealed. Faint scars traced their way all over skin, but it was skin that was skin, and not hideous, ropey, keloid scarring. Not muscles distorted from burns that had gone catastrophically deep. She'd been healing. All this time. Slowly, like she'd suggested to Red, so long ago, working from the inside out. How? Well, maybe the same way Belle had gone from a good healer to a high op three— Bull had become more powerful with his enhanced skeleton. Spoonbender had gone from bending wires to bending bull's bones to ripping open the Georgia Dome. They'd all been improving under the stress of facing the Kriegers, all of them, and so had she. Bella had said she was a meta, and one thing most metas had was enhanced healing. But she'd had no pressure to kick it off. That healing wouldn't have shown itself until she started fighting the Kriegers herself. Mastery of magic was something inherent to her that depended on study, analysis, things the meta part of her couldn't affect. So maybe this was how she had improved when challenged, by returning to what she had once been. I haven't taken a pain pill in months. 
Her brain was putting together the data as soon as the possibility occurred to her. The evidence was there in front of her eyes. However it had happened, why it had happened, all that mattered was she'd been healing. She wasn't a deformed monster anymore. She probably hadn't been since she stopped hurting all the time when she moved, and if she hadn't been too afraid to look at herself, she'd have known this a long time before now. And the one person she would have wanted to see her, healed, was gone. Rage filled her again. Rage at the universe. Rage at Doppelganger. Rage maybe at herself. That she'd remained oblivious to the changes all this time. That maybe things would have been different with Red if... if she'd known. Maybe that would have given her the courage to make a move before Mel did. But she hadn't. And now it was forever too late. Now all she had was rage. The only outlet for that rage was to grab the practice sword and dagger again and attack the pals like a fury incarnate until she had to stop when the ironwood rapier snapped. And she stood there, trembling with exhaustion, while the rage finally drained out of her, dropping the weapons from nerveless hands. They landed on the carpet of the floor with dull thuds. You all right, Miss Vicky? came a soft little voice to her left. She took a long, slow breath and turned her head just enough to see that Penny, although her eyes were big, did not appear to be afraid, and her hands were steadily petting Gray. I'll never hurt you, Penny, she said, answering the unspoken question, because, surely, that was what Penny had asked her abusive mother time after time. Are you all right, Mama? and the answer would have told her whether it was safe to stay or time to hide. Penny didn't smile, but she did visibly relax. What made you so mad? Nothing that anything can change, kiddo. And maybe that's part of why I was mad. She walked over to where the piece of sword had landed, picked it up, and dropped the two pieces into a trash can. Fortunately, she had more than one set, but this was the first time ever she had broken one. I'm going to go take a shower. If you're hungry, ask Eight to call for something from upstairs. I think I need to wire the kid for Overwatch, too. There had been time to make more sets, but no time to implant more than a few more people. Okay, Penny relaxed more. What can I have? Anything you want. Just remember not to ask for more than you can eat, because that's bad manners and greedy. She pushed her dripping hair out of her eyes and headed for the bathroom area. And this time, before she undressed, she turned on the lights. For the first time in... years. What she found under her clothing made her sit in the bottom of the shower and sob silently until she couldn't cry anymore. At some point during her crying jag, she heard the elevator again, but it really didn't register except to wonder if that was Penny's food or Penny leaving. She felt as limp as boiled spaghetti when she emerged, dry and clothed in a clean outfit, but without the gloves, to find Penny sharing a plate of jumbo shrimp with Gray. There was an empty Sunday cup on the table that looked like it had held ice cream. She got a can of dinner and threw herself down into a chair across from the little girl. Don't stop, she cautioned, 
when it looked as if Penny was about to put the plate down. Finish your dinner. Then you can tell me why you came down here. Penny nodded and took her words at face value. When the shrimp were nothing but tails, she put the plate beside the Sunday cup and pulled her legs up, wrapping her arms around them. We keep looking and looking, Miss Vicky, but we ain't found red nowhere. She rubbed her hands up and down her arms anxiously. It, it ain't easy to find people if they ain't moved on. It's like being in a fog. That's what Mr. Stone says. And you don't actually find someone. Either they come to you, like Riley come to Miss Mel, or you pass word amongst everyone and hope someone knows them and can pass word back. And ain't nobody seems to know Red at all. Vicky closed her eyes for a moment to stop the burning. Which probably means he's moved on. She didn't want to think what that meant. Sarah said people went to heavens, or hells, that they expected. And given how he'd been after his arrest, she was horribly, horribly afraid he expected a hell. All right, kiddo, there's no point in wearing yourself out over this. I think it's time you stopped looking. She wiped her eyes with the back of her hand and opened them. How are you and Stone getting along? Once Riley was done with Mel, he'd moved on. And it was clear at that point that until Penny was able to protect herself, she'd need a protector. She'd also need a teacher. Vicky was no expert in mediumship, but she had remembered from the couple of classes that had touched on the subject she'd taken back at Merlin College that there was a spell to entreat a wise and compassionate spirit to come and serve as the classical spirit guide. Entreat, and not summon, and certainly not compel. You wanted cooperation, not coercion, from such a guide. When Vicky had performed the spell, she had gotten more than she'd hoped for. The entity that had volunteered for the job of being Penny's protector, mentor, and teacher was Tombstone's grandfather, Jacob, the magician who had helped safeguard the Echo Charter. In retrospect, it made sense. Jacob had plenty of reasons to turn up when she cast the spell. He'd been a founding member of Echo, the only magician in Echo at the time, or ever so far as she could tell. His grandson was an Echo now, and Vicky had been the one that magically decrypted the charter. And on top of that, much of voodoo and magic was based in the spirit world. Ahungan was as much medium as magician. If she'd been able to ask for someone in particular, she couldn't have chosen better herself. It seemed Penny felt that way as well, because her face lit up with one of her rare smiles. He's nice. He don't ever get tired of me asking questions. She sucked on her lower lip for a moment. He's worried about you, Miss Vicky. Well, I'm worried about all of us, she temporized. And before she had to lie, which was generally not a good idea around spirits, or come up with some sort of evasion, she got the blat of a private message from her computer. And there was only one person that could be. True to his promise, Jack had been feeding her tiny bursts of information as he could. Thanks to him, they now knew how to detect and intercept incoming Kriegers while they were still over the ocean, keeping them from making landfall, among other things. Every bit of what he'd sent was useful, but none of it told her where the damned things were coming from. Probably because he himself did not know. But this time, 
the message was shorter than usual. N27.132481 W73.086548 Nothing else. And she stared at the letters and numbers on the screen for a full minute before it dawned on her. Coordinates, she breathed. Eight, where is that? Latitude 27.132481 north. Longitude 73.086548 west. Why does that sound familiar? Because it is the middle of what is called the Bermuda Triangle, Vicky, Eight replied. Holy crap. Isn't that about where the lost squadron vanished at the end of the war? She gasped. Spitfire, Brumby, Thasson Blanc, Corsair, and Belaya Lilia. Petrograd wanted to go, but they wouldn't let him, and, and Lily went in his place. Yes, it is. On a secret mission to destroy a rumored Nazi aircraft carrier or other important ship of some sort that was supposed to be sailing there. They reported encountering Eisenfaust, Valkyria, and other fascist metaflyers, but their transmissions broke up. They vanished, and nothing was ever found of them. Wait a minute. Eisenfaust said something about that in those prison interviews. Eight, pull that up. Eight already had, and in a moment, Vicky was listening to the dead man describe something that made absolutely no sense. Had made no sense at the time, that is, and no one had bothered looking into it since. But... But we already know the Thulians can fold space, she said, thinking out loud. And we know they have superior stealthing characteristics. They can hide entire cities. What if they hid their mothership, something bigger than a city, something big enough to qualify as a world ship, in the middle of the ocean? That spot's not on any shipping lanes. What if the Lost Squadron and Eisenthal's Squadron happened to run into each other right on top of it? What if they breached the stealth curtain? Hell, what if the captain of that craft the Lost Squadron was looking for was actually sailing under secret orders to rendezvous with it? What if... She shook her head. I can't take a bunch of speculation to Bella and Pride. I need some confirmation. I... I can tell Tesla and Marconi. They may know of some medicine technology or application of medicine technology that would permit detection of such a thing, now that we know where to look. Do that, she replied, clenching her fist in her hair, as if she could encourage ideas to come faster that way. This... this is... Mr. Stone says... Penny gulped. Mr. Stone says y'all are right, and when you go, you gotta take me with you. Vicky wrenched her head around to stare at the little girl. Mr. Stone better have a damned good reason, she snapped. Penny's eyes were closed, and she was shaking a little, but her voice was steady. Mr. Stone says the ghosts of his friends are still there. He says they can't rest until they've done their duty. He says they can help us, and then they can go on, but y'all need me to talk to them. Honey, look at me, Vicky ordered. The girl's eyes opened, and she stared steadily into Vicky's. Is this something you feel you have to do? Penny's eyes brightened a little. There was fear in them, but also determination, and she nodded slowly. Ain't nobody can do it but me. And Mr. Stone says my not going could mean everything goes to heck. I'm scared, but 
I gotta go. Then you go, Vicky told her. After all, when she'd been Penny's age, she'd been helping her folks on cases. The kid might not know how great the risk was, but she sure as hell knew the stakes, and so far as Vicky was concerned, she was old enough to understand them. Still, sweet baby Jesus, Bella is going to kill me. You've been listening to The Secret World Chronicle, written by Mercedes Lackey, Cody Martin, Dennis Lee, and Veronica Jaguer. Narration and production by Veronica Jaguer at VoicesByVeronica.com. Quality review and production assistance by Laura Nicole at ResonantMoon.com. Music by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. The Secret World Chronicle podcast novel series is released under a Creative Commons Attribution No Derivatives 4.0 license. For previous episodes, check out secretworldchronicle.com. The Secret World Chronicle is published by the fantastic people at Bayon Books. Find fellow SWC fans on the Facebook group at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Secret World Chronicle. And as always, thank you for listening.